When we have a baseball day and we're clearing, you know, insane numbers, every French fry is perfect, every burger is perfect. It's like, oh, just French fries. Like, dude, I still want every one of them perfect, man. When you nail that and at the end of the night, we're all cleaned up, everybody's sweaty and just beat up. And, you know, you look at the numbers and you're like, dude, we just served a thousand people. That was five of us against a thousand. That was awesome, dude. What a battle, man. We raged, you know? The beer tastes so good after that, man. <laughs> hey, what is up, guys? Jordan Anderson here, and welcome to the podcast. On this episode, we're interviewing Chef Kyle Bailey of the Salt Line. Uh, chef Kyle is a chef in the D.C. area. He has been the chef for a, a number of restaurants, actually. Um, we went down to his restaurant at the Salt Line, interviewed him, talked about how to start a restaurant, what it takes to run a restaurant, uh, his like kind of his growing up in the culinary world and going to culinary school. Uh, we also talk about his new concept for a New Orleans style restaurant called Dauphine's, and it should be coming out soon or launching soon, opening soon. Uh, this was a great conversation. I loved it. Go over to his Instagram at Chef Kyle Bailey. Okay, I'm delaying. This has been uh, this is a great interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. And without further delay, here is Chef Kyle Bailey. All right, we have Chef Kyle Bailey here from the Salt Line. Chef, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Uh, if you want to give us a quick five-minute intro, just like who you are, what you're about, where you come from. Sure, sure. So, um, start at the Salt Line. Uh, Salt Line is a um, New England restaurant, kind of New England meets Chesapeake, um, uh, where we deal uh, a lot with sustainability and locality. And um, uh, we also um, started um, the DC chapter of Dr. Dish, which is uh, we're cutting some cutting steps out of the supply chain with the uh, the intention of getting more money into the, the hands of the, the our local fishermen and um, uh, getting fresher, better product. Um, uh, in return. So, um, I came from, uh, fine dining restaurants and, um, whole animal, um, scratch made everything kind of a, kind of a situation. Um, that's just kind of how we're, we roll. That's how we're always going to roll. I think, um, anything that we can make in house, we will, especially, uh, uh, but the rule is that it has to be better than any other product. It has to be a better than a bought product. Um, so breads and pastas, um, no brainer. It's those are they're I mean, they're very hard to make, but that's uh, something that we were definitely focusing on more about me. I, uh, started as a dishwasher when I was 14 years old in, um, Chatsford, Pennsylvania, and, uh, just fell in love with the kitchen and, uh, you know, skipped school to go to work. I loved, I loved it, you know, moving around and, um, it's physically demanding, uh, emotionally draining work. I, I, I really, I like, I like that a lot. Um, uh, time, by the time I turned 18, I knew I wanted to do this forever. So I went to a culinary school, CIA in Hyde Park. Um, then, uh, I moved to Miami because I'd never, you know, been to the beach and I never really did anything. Uh, and, uh, I wanted to see a very different part of the world and different lifestyles. Um, to spent like two and a half years there, uh, moved to the Bahamas for a year. And that was uh, some eye-opening stuff too. Um, came back, went to New York uh, for about a decade, and that was uh, amazing. You know, that's that was 
<clears throat> like a golden era of restaurants at that time for sure. That, that the mid two thousands. It's really great. Um, uh, worked at amazing restaurants for, you know, some hardcore chefs, uh, spent time at crew with, uh, Shea Galante, who's at the Lincoln now and, um, Dan Barber from, uh, Blue Hill at Stone Barnes. Spent some time there. Really had a great time there. And, um, took over the kitchen for my, my first chef job was at Allen and Delancey in the Lower East Side. Um, and, uh, that was really, really hard. Uh, it was Michelin starred restaurant. Very difficult. Uh, but I totally loved it. And I, I mean, I was already kind of, I mean, I was already very, very into it, but I was like, man, this is just for me, man. Left there and moved to DC to open Birch and Barley on 14th street, um, with my wife who's a pastry chef. So, um, worked there for, um, seven years, better part of seven years. And left there to open this place. Um, so you got started at, you said 14 as a dishwasher. Was that just like, I just need a job? Or was like, fuck yeah, it, it happened, let's, let's, let's check it out. Happened right into it. My, my buddy, uh, Steve, uh, got the job first. And then he was like, hey, they need help. Do you want to, uh, do you want to be a dishwasher? And I was like, well, I, I'm bored and I need money. So yeah, it sounds great. And uh, no intention of restaurants before you got to the, as a dishwasher, then right as you were in the kitchen, you saw, was there a, was a mentor that stood out to you or it's just like, just the atmosphere, just the kind of like, we drink, we smoke, we, we just stay up till two in the morning. Like yeah. It, it was, so, you know, you are, um, first of all, I didn't, I don't come from a food family. We have, you know, we're bad eaters. We're always, you know, chicken breast only and, um, no seafood and no pork and uh, no, like, a little bit of beef, but in the form of overcooked burgers, you know, yep. ground beef only. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ground beef only. And, um, you know, checks for dinner and you know what I mean? Bad, bad food family. So never really saw any of that stuff. Never. We, we never went out to eat. We never did that. Um, so then seeing the, f- seeing food cooked and seeing food prepared and, um, that was awesome. Right. That was just rough the bat. Uh, flavors I'd never tasted before. Smells I'd never smelled before. It was really cool. Um, but even, but what, what really did it for me was, um, the atmosphere, right? So 14 years old and like, you know, remember like adults are telling you, oh, there's a, there's a world out there and there's a worldview and you, you're pretty sure that that's just what it is. Right. And then you get into the real world, you know, in a kitchen and it's like rules, throw the rules out the window, man. We are, um, um, we're going to cuss all the time. You know, we're, we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to push, uh, we're going to, it's going to be aggressive. It's, you know, and like, that was really, really cool to see like, Oh, this is the world. Oh, it's not fair, man. This is really, this is different. This is really cool. You have to fight for everything you get. Really. I I loved that. I thought it was really cool. And for there, you said, I want to be a chef. I want to, I want to cook. I, you know, or was like, is culinary school the next logical step? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was, yeah, for sure. Um, especially because I was just lost. I needed discipline for sure and guidance. And, um, you know, and this was like an American bistro kind of a thing. So there wasn't a ton of guidance or discipline there. So I, I definitely needed to go to a culinary school, um, whip you into shape, just 
teach you about the industry, you know? Yeah. I mean, is it, you have to go to culinary school to be a chef in today's culinary world or is it just, you really don't. I mean, you, you never had to, but it, I, I, it, I definitely needed it. I think if I had worked in a great restaurant first, if I had been, if I even knew, knew what that meant, I had no idea what that even meant. You were trademarked as the whole animal. You're trademarked as sustainability. Do you think the American diet wastes too much of the animal? Like when it comes, say like a cow. Like do you think the Amer- typical American diet, or even maybe a more moderately advanced American diet? Do you think like how much of the cow are we not using? Or how much of like most animals are we not using? So. Um, I, I definitely think that we're, we're, there's a lot of waste, right? So there's a lot of food waste, mostly th- through, uh, produce, um, is the big one, right? So it's perishable. And, um, if it just doesn't look right, it doesn't get marketed, right? So they're not going to put, um, you know, messed up looking apples on the shelf, even though they're completely the same thing, you know, they just look a little weird. So when it comes to food, you know, it's crazy. If you think about it, the, the one thing that we are getting right, uh, right uh, quotation marks is chicken because, you know, we produce a lot of chicken. It's very cheap. That's, that's the, you know, the number one, um, uh, protein in America is this chicken, right? We have a ton of chicken. It's, con- it's, it's processed all the time. Um, antibiotics and abuse widespread. Um, but they are, you know, these major producers, they did find a way to u- utilize every piece, not in, you know, with the, not with the, the purpose of, you know, well, we are uh, utilizing a whole animal, but because it's cost effective, right? So that's like, they're grinding the bones to pink slime to make nuggets, right? Like they're, they're using every piece. Um, uh, so they weirdly got that right. Right. But, uh, but, uh, doesn't mean it's good. I mean, really what we should be doing is, um, raising these animals, um, you know, with respect and, and, uh, and, and treating them with respect, uh, as a, as a food source and, um, and, and also utilizing every piece of it, you know, um, with the cow, with the, with the pig, <clears throat> I think that you find, we're, you know, we're not wasting a ton of it, uh, cause a lot of it is getting frozen and, you know, uh, a lot of it gets shipped overseas, man. Like a lot of it, there's not, you know, not, not a ton of it goes to, the cutter canner dog foodie stuff that I think a lot of, I think people think things go to because if you know, you think about it, you could grind a whole cow for, for, for ground beef. You know what I mean? Like there's every cut could be, could be ground. <clears throat> you want to save those really good center of the plate cuts, those, the steaky cuts, because that's going to go to steak. Even if it goes to places like Sizzler or whatever, you know what I mean? Like it's still steak cuts. Um, there's plenty of outlets for roast beefs, you know, for the roasting cuts, for the braising cuts, um, for the brisket cuts. Cause you still see that everywhere. You know, you still see like those cuts, uh, for beef in particular and for pork. I mean, there's not a piece of pork that isn't delicious. Yeah. You know, even the commodity stuff, you're like, Oh, this is not great pork. Still pork though. You know, <laughs> what was the, sw- have you always done a whole animal approach in your cooking or like, what was the switch for you that was like, you know what, we're going to like, we're going to start doing sure. I, you know, I, re- I remember in the nineties and you can totally read about this in Con- kitchen confidential. Um, and a, a few of the other Anthony Bourdain, memoirs where he talks about um just the way things used to be especially in the 90s i remember like nobody was doing whole animal man like everything was boxed beef everything was cuts in a box uh crab act or whatever and that's the only the only way i'd ever seen it and it was was, there was a there was a a disconnect 
for the respect that you show the the product. I remember body slamming pieces of, you know, beef tenderloins. You know what I mean? Like, just like boom, slam it down on the table. Like oh, I'm in charge of this, you know, and um, and you know I don't think it really. Uh, the, the exception to that one, I think, was fish. I mean, p- people still loved whole fish, butchering whole fish, and um, you know, f- fish is a little bit easier. There's yeah, you can kind of like you can physically see like it makes. There's not all these cuts of meats and the right. loin and the you know. Yep, the it's one, one big spine bone, man. One big bone, no big deal. But um, uh, I remember the you know there was a big shift for me in 2004 when I got to Crew Restaurant and we were doing um, uh, first time I seen duck right and we were definitely doing whole chickens first time I butchered a whole rabbit um, we started getting goats and that was that was very special you know that was really cool uh, following that at Blue Hill Stone Barns we were doing um, every once in a while we'd get a cow and. Um, Big chunks of pig, which was really cool. Um, didn't really, really get deep into it until um, 2009 at Birch and Barley when I, I was the chef. I was the guy in charge. And it was like, so, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think we can, I think we could break down a whole pig, man. I think we could, I think we could sell 350 pounds of pig, the whole animal, right? And figure it out. Yeah. And, uh, and we did, we did it once a week for, um, six years how important is like relationship with the farmers like that you you know with you like finding those like whole cuts of meat that versus just like oh like i just go to my butcher like sure. like making a really intimate relationship with your the cow farmer or the big farmer saying sure like, man i mean i want that that yeah that's what you want you want to uh you want to know your pig farmer really well um i you know i go over my pig farmer's house you know we have barbecues he's a really cool dude but also you know when he drops a pig off he could tell you everything about the pig like he he's like oh yeah that's one uh he has a real attitude problem <laughs> you know like uh he i remember you know the 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 farmhand would drop off the pig and he'd um you know lift up his pant leg and he's like got a giant gash in his leg and he's like yeah this one gored me man like this one because they grow Whoa. they grow tusks you know like the pigs, yeah, pigs, right. yeah when pigs get wild they go like when, when you let them out they go feral and that was a part of the process for our pig farmer <clears throat> he would grow them to 100 pounds on the farm and then he had a mountain kind of fenced off uh 400 acres and he would just let them loose let them loose Whoa. and he's okay. tracking them with binoculars and and they, checking them. they become like wild boars almost yeah yeah tusks and everything right yeah whoa so, uh, and they get nuts. He says like, they get crazy. And, um, but then he had to go get them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you know, come on, piggy. If, a, if a dressed pig is three fifty, you know, the, the hanging weight is, uh, like the, you know, with all the, yeah. like a live weight is, um, like four fifty. man. It's like a huge pig, all muscle, man. Whoa. You know? Okay. And it's not like, you know, they don't do the Ted Nugent style. They get in the helicopter and just machine gun them down. Like, how do you, how do you go oh, back you and catch them? Yeah. yeah you gotta, yeah. Like you gotta corral them and try to get them. I guess. Whoa. That's get like, him into a truck, man. Whatever uh, it takes, you know? And it's, and it's better quality than just like farm raised. Uh, f- uh, for sure. It's like, yeah. you know, that was the, that was some of the best tasting pork I ever had. And with our next concept, I'm going to go back to buying from, from, let's talk about developing a restaurant idea. Sure. Like, I think we all just, you know, you hear about, oh, they're starting this new restaurant or some other chef around town is starting a new restaurant. How do you actually start a restaurant? How do you say, like, or, and even start with, like, personally as a, as a chef or as a restaurant executive or a manager, like, 
internally, what do you, what does it take to start? I want to start a restaurant. And then what are the steps to actually the actions to starting a restaurant? So there's so much to it. Um, step one is concept, right? Come up with a concept. Um, and, uh, you know, traditionally what you want to do is um, find something that is underserved, right? Find a kind of cuisine that's underserved in the neighborhood or, you know, in the, in the area, right? For example, New England cuisine, you know, uh, what even is New England cuisine? You know, if you'd asked people three years ago, they'd be like, I don't know, chowder. And it's like, well, yeah, that's a part of it actually. So cool. Um, and then another really big part is location, man. Like they say location, location, location. You can add three more locations, man. Location is very important. Um, and it's something that's, I think it's a hard to swallow thing for a chef because chefs are, I, I, you know, think about like, I know a lot of chefs, man. Been all over the country talking to chefs, like got a lot of buddies. What, as a chef, you're like, man, my food is so good. It's so important. People are going to come out for it. If I open uh, in the worst part of town, people are going to come out for my food. Well, that's wrong, dude. Just so you know, it's like that's um, some will for sure. Yeah. Okay. But people care about ease as well. Right. And they care about location, man. You know, uh, it's, and it's such a big thing. You know, and a good example of the salt line is um the water man you know we're right on the water we're right we're right, also right next to a baseball stadium which seems to yeah. help business yeah that's uh, all, yeah it's like perfect spot and um this was a weird neighborhood for a very long time and um it's every every year it gets busier and busier man it's 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 nuts with the with the growth of the neighborhood and residential going in um so you get your you get an idea you get a location you get the space and then that's a whole other thing is trying to find a space trying to negotiate rent um is another thing and that's no fun you know and there's there's plenty of you can look it up on the internet there's plenty of um formulas for how you uh calculate um uh rent for per square footage and for yeah. and how many tables you can pack into a spot and, and a restaurant will typically buy they'll rent a space or they'll buy a space rent okay typically rent yeah. space no i mean it's a lot of capital to up front usually to, yeah not to mention all of the uh, designing and the building, yeah, you know I mean? the equipment, putting, everything, you yeah. Know? So, um, so you get that together, um, and then you uh, find investors, you know, and you find a, you need to sell them on your product, uh, a thing that's just an idea in your head. Um, uh, you have to get into, <clears throat> um, you know, you write pro formas and you write, uh, you, know, you kind of come up with this is how much money we intend to make this is how much we need to raise and you sell shares. Um, how far along, uh, how far hashed out is the restaurant idea before you're re reaching out to investors? As far as, as far as you can get it. Like menu, concepts, photos, test recipes. You definitely have to, you, you, you want to have that information for people. Okay. It's, um, not, it's not just like, well, what if we did like a New England thing in this corner? I mean, good luck getting money for that. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? People want to, people want return on investment, you know, yeah. and they want it fast and they, they they want to be I mean they want to be a part of it but they also want their money back you know yeah. it's a lot it's a lot of money yeah. you know so um, uh, you know or you can do a Kickstarter but um, I mean it's a similar situation where usually you, know, you, you for, for if you're gonna do a Kickstarter you promise people a certain amount if they pitch in twenty bucks but from you know investors you're kind of looking for more yeah I've seen that we're done with like a food truck yeah like you get hey for you know one year 
of meals if you back this much. Yep. So, um, but, but, uh, but a food truck's a little easier. Little, uh, yeah, I think in the front end it is, but like, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think a food truck is easier in the in the long run, though. I, yeah, oh, yeah. It's I very, think those uh, are very difficult. Super fickle. Um, so, so, all right. So you managed to somehow secure funding for the investment, and then it's get to work. It's yep. hire, it's, hire your crew or... Yep. Um, talk to architects. Talk to um, uh, designers, unless you want to do that stuff yourself, which I do not uh, recommend at all. It's like, that's... Recipe for disaster. I've seen it many times. Okay, young chef think they're like, yeah, I know what I know what people like, or I know like. Not even just young chef, man. It's like, uh, and there's a lot of people just think that they're very good at it. I can just guess or whatever. Um, and a, uh, an analogy for that would be, um, my if somebody asked me for my dream restaurant, um, it would be you know chainsaws and shit and fucking meat hooks and yeah this is awesome uh that's a stupid fucking restaurant yeah, welcome to hostel right <laughs> nobody wants to go there nobody's gonna eat there maybe they will once they're not coming back man that's a stupid fucking idea that's why you need to hire people who know what they're doing okay. you need to get um uh ideas man and, and and trust people and get people get people you trust and uh and get them to help you design something yeah and i'm sure the concept from your idea to when you meet the investors to when you meet the design team just completely changes. The, right. You know, I mean, the concept of art has to, you know, it, it's going to stay the same because that's, yeah. you know, um, things definitely do change. So, um, you know, you, and, you know, you get your architects and your design team and you get um, uh, your contractors and, you know, and then you got to build the restaurant and you have to be on site every day to check their work because, <clears throat> They're, uh, they're dummies too, man. They do dumb shit, man. Like, you know, they're, they're going to mess up your drains for sure. Every time they're going to make, um, gonna, they're going to put wall tiles on the floor and be like, Oh, I didn't know. You're like, all right, well, who's going to do this now, man. And, uh, suffer through all that. Right. And then, um, you know, the whole time you're also probably, you're doing some food testing. you got to do some hiring. you got to figure that out. How are we going to pay these people? Cause there's no money coming in. And what about uh, recipe development? Do you have those early on in the concept, and then you're just like tweaking them as you go and training your chef and sous chef, you know, sous chef to like really perfect this? Or so, um, you know, for example, what we're doing right now is because we're opening Dauphine's. It's a New Orleans inspired restaurant. Um, we're lucky to have uh, the Salt Line as a as a place to test, you know, um, and um, and kind of share some of the labor. Um, what we're doing right now is heavy, heavy testing. <clears throat> we are, um, we're the kind of people who, um, long shot hospitality. We're the kind of guys who do our homework, right? And we overdo their homework. We really overdo it and, um, exhaust ourselves doing this. Um, because, uh, that's how success is won. You know, you can roll the dice, man, but uh, I'm not really a gambler. Um, uh, I, I make sure I've got a, a bunch of bullets in my gun before I go to war, you know? Um, we are testing nonstop. I, you know, we're, we're going to be making gumbo, you know, that's going to be a part of it. We made, um, you know, we're on our like 83rd gumbo, you know, um, make it, make it every day. Like, how's it going? It's, it's, <laughs> I've learned a lot about gumbo. How was, how was the first one? It's fine. Not yeah. good. I mean, not great for sure, but like, okay. you know, we, we ruined a lot of stuff. Sometimes we intentionally ruined the stuff to see breaking points and, and what do you, what's the point of this and what are we doing? You know, um, you know, you have to remember too, it's, it's not going to, 
I'm not trying to do a New Orleans exact restaurant. It's it's DC's version of that. It's a it's New Orleans restaurant with DC sensibilities, right? Okay. Some things work there. They wouldn't work here, man. Yeah, that's like I mean, yeah, you're taking on like a a huge pillar of like traditional food, like a just like for sure. And like yeah, we're gonna, yeah I, yeah, and then to bring it up here, it probably I would imagine not be as spicy or not be or like what what do you say is like is the Washington sensibility or like. Because there's a different palette here. There is. Like there is. Pe- people down south can accept a little more spice or a little more like, you know, in your face flavor is like the mid Atlantic Washington D.C. Is that like a little more dialed back or? How, how do sure. You, I mean, well, I mean, you, you if you look at if you look at the modern restaurants in, in New Orleans right now, they're all doing the, exactly what we're talking about. It's not. I mean, D.C. sensibilities, but it's it's 2019 sensibilities, right? Sure. A little yeah. bit lighter, a little bit cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. Maybe a little less um, flour-based uh, thickeners, you know, a little more like uh, on the reduction, a little less manipulating of flavor, a little more extrapolating on existing flavors, okay. if that makes sense. Um, uh, and we just have different stuff available here, you know. So if you want to go, I mean, kind of talk further about that with the gumbo. Like, how are you kind of tweak taking the original gumbo? Or even like, are you doing a Cajun or Creole gumbo, or like which type of gumbo? Do it's going to be a DC gumbo, you know. DC like, gumbo. And, and I can, okay. I mean, I can say that because we made eighty-three gumbos, man. Yeah, uh, you know. And it's like, so how? Are I don't you? know if that sounds like a lot. That's a lot of gumbo, man. Eighty-three. <laughs> a ton of gumbos. That's yeah. That's like yeah, eighty-three different re- like just so yep, you're, change you're, recipe every time. Every time, so it's like a little bit different. The roux is lighter. The roux is darker. We added yep. tomatoes. We took out tomatoes. We yes. Added, like okay. Everything. Yep. And then you're just seeing what have you learned so far from the 83 attempts? Like what you thought, like what did you think going in? Like we're going to try to make gumbo DC style. And then now like how has it evolved or like what discoveries have you made out of that, those testing so far? We really, you know, I think it wasn't about making it DC style. It was about uh, not offending people who knew gumbo and then talking to a lot of people who are from the region and what that means to them. Uh, and I mean, first and foremost, it has to taste very good for across the board, right? That's what, that's what food is. It's supposed to taste great. It's never supposed to alienate or make you not, or it's not supposed to taste bad. It's food, right? So you're supposed to really enjoy it. Uh, that's number one. Um, there are people, you know, some people's like, oh, you cannot put tomato in this, man. Um, some people are like, uh, no, tomato goes, it's, you know, like, it's what, it's what we do in my house. Yeah, it's hey, like, my mom made it. Yeah. Where are you from? Yeah. Totally right. Yeah. So uh, I think there, people are going to be a little forgiving on it because it's mm-hmm. it is such a different thing for everybody. Um, um, you know, and also within our concept, we we wanted to hit seafood, right? I wanted it to be as, um, a seafoody gumbo, um, definitely oysters and crab, shrimp. Um, but I also would like to use andouille, man. I would like to make our own andouille and use that in there. That'd be sweet. Yeah. So where did the whole? I mean were you down in New Orleans and just like, let's make a New Orleans concept or just like, where did, where does like, where did that spark come from for Dauphine's? We, um, we've been friendly with the, um, with the cure guys for a bit. Um, cure is a cocktail spot in New Orleans and it's James Beard award winning. Amazing guys. Uh, yeah. Amazing. Right. And, um, uh, one of my business partners, Gavin has been friends with Neil for a very, very long time and, um, hanging out and, an opportunity came up on a space and it was like, um, 
why not, man? Why wouldn't we do this? It'd be cool. So we're we're partnering with them. You know, they're gonna be involved with um with the with the place, um, and not just cocktails, but um, you know, the, the, a lot of what we're uh, planning on doing, yeah. um, design wise and food wise, they're helping us out big time. Uh, but you know, it was just like, man, what a great idea. I mean, you know, we we I've been to New Orleans a couple times and really really enjoyed myself. Really love um. Love Cajun country. I think that's awesome. Of all, I mean, that's when you're talking about like whole animal, like that's the oh, boucherie, man. Like that's, that's where it, that's really, really awesome. It's, it's so American. You know what I mean? It's, um, melting pot American kind yep. of an idea. Everything's man. pickled. Everything's cured. Love it, dude. Yep. That's like every last bit, man. Yep. That's the best part. Uh, I want to bring, maybe we go a little more personal with this question. I want to ask you about the power dynamic with you and your wife. Sure. Because your wife was involved with Birch and Barley yes. early on with you. You're, and she now runs Buttercream Bake Shop. Yep. Like how, like for just one member of the marriage to like be, a rest, be in the restaurant business, working late hours has got to be stressful enough. Like how do you, how do the two of you say like, like is, is it perfect? Have you guys found the power dynamic, the power balance or the, power is not the right word, but like. What's the dynamic with your marriage and how you balance both of you running two separate restaurants or multiple restaurants? Or sure, man. So it was, um, it was definitely, uh, it, you know, it was never rough, right? Uh, but it was difficult when we were both, I mean, making our name. That was, it was insane, right? So making your name is, is a thing, you know, that, that was, that's, that's mid 2000s, right? Mid to late 2000s, making our names, um, busting our asses, just trying to get, to get to it. Right. Um, and a, a lot of that was driven by, you know, this idea that dude, we've come so far. If we don't make it, like, this was for nothing, man. You know, like I don't want to flip burgers when I'm 85, man, you know? Um, so, you know, getting through that was, was one thing. And then finally you kind of make it, man, where you're the chef and the pastry chef. And then it doesn't get easier. You're just working. You're just, trying to really solidify, trying to cement what you're doing, you know, try to get a, get a reputation working, uh, working a lot, man. Like I, a lot of seven day weeks, you know, yeah, <clears throat> there were a lot of seven day weeks, working sure. holidays, working nights, every single holiday. Yep. Every, I mean, it was, it was that, you know, and, uh, and I, I'm not complaining. It's just that that's what it was. No, that's, that's the hospitality world. Um, so what we're doing now is now that we are in business for ourselves, now that we own our own businesses, um, Every, every week we get two days off, same two days. Um, she works early mornings. I work late nights. Um, sometimes we see each other during the week, but we have two full days together, you know? Um, and I've got a ton more freedom now that I've got a full staff and they're all great dudes. Uh, man, like we take vacations. We used to never take vacations. Now we take the first, um, the first three weeks of every January we take off. Uh, and it's like literally New Year's Eve service. As soon as it's over, go home, pack, drink, stay up all night, go to the airport, crash on the plane, and then, uh, you know, wake up in a different country. Sweet. I mean, was there a, early in the marriage, was there a conversation or was it just kind of like, I'm in the restaurant industry, you're in the restaurant industry, we know what's about yeah, to Yeah, we just knew, man. We yeah. just we didn't have to have a conversation. We, we just both knew. Like, this is what it is, so... But we both love it, you know, like we're both 
about the industry. It's like, yeah, it's almost lucky that you found each other. Like the two of you are like, like it's almost like me finding someone else in the film industry. Or like there's like, yeah, we know what the deal is. Yep. So, how do you? I mean, can you even imagine like someone who was if like if your spouse was outside of the restaurant industry? Like, how do you explain? Look, honey, it's going to be nights, weekends, holidays. Uh, I have no 80, idea. Man. Eighty hours, hundred hours a week. Like, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I mean, if you find a uh, if you find a spouse that is happy without you around, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, Which, uh, it's probably not that hard to find. What are some bad advice that you hear in the restaurant industry, or like, at, like among other chefs? Like, what's bad advice that you kind of give each other, or that you've heard people give to other chefs? Uh, chefs are. So the DC food scene is um, kind of different, even though I think this idea is spreading where, and th- the first time I'd seen this for sure, this food scene is so tight knit. And so we all have each other's backs. That's really, really cool. We all hang out. We all drink together, man. We all like are friendly texting nonstop. Like we're, we're joking around. It's really very, very cool. So there's never any really bad advice. Um, I've definitely, Right. One thing that I, I that I do, that I do hear from um, uh, every every chef dad when they tell their kids, um, you know, every time they, a chef friend of mine has a kid, I'm like, so are they going to be um, going to be little chefs or what? And he's like, they are definitely not going to get in this industry. <laughs> Nobody wants their own kids to to be in the business because um, it just really it burns you out and really grinds you down. Um, and uh, you know, and every time. You know, you, you hear a young kid say, go to a chef and be like, oh, I, you know, I think I'd like to be a chef. And they're always like, dude, don't. Do not. Well, I don't know, man. It worked out great for me, man. I, I love it. It's for some people, you know. Yeah. Not for everybody, for sure. But I, I mean, I also did suffer a, a great deal of, uh, I, you know, I was poverty level until I was 29. You know, like lived in my car for a bit and just no money in it, man. But it wasn't about the money for me, though. Whatever, dude. I, don't, I mean, I don't really care, you know. Um, paid off now. Yeah, now I'm doing great, man. <laughs> now I'm doing awesome. Yeah, dude. But uh, I mean, is it like do some chefs just like there's like they just kind of look at it like there's nothing else for me to do. Like I don't know how to do anything else but cook or like yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you know, um, I would say you know, if you're just an, a capable human being, you can do anything, you know. Um, walk out of here and get, I mean, get a job anywhere really. I mean, in a, in a mechanic garage, I mean, you put in some work, but if you're a capable human being, I think you can. Uh, but I also think those people who's like, Oh, I can't do anything else. I bet you they have, it calls them so deep in their heart, man. I bet you they love it, man. They love food. They love what we do. It's not just the food either. It's hospitality. You know what I mean? It's service. It's that's, it's special. Yeah. What kind of like, like on a, great service Friday night like what kind of lights up your fire like is it is it like we made this perfect dish or like is it seeing the customer super like enjoy it or a great review that comes in like what kind of like all of those things man definitely when your food is well received when you don't get people sending food back when they get it right I I think it's another thing where chefs are like oh people don't get my food and it's like there's a reason man something's up you do have to people have to be able to get it and that's on you for creating something that maybe people can't get. But whatever, dude, that's some nitpicky stuff. I would also say, um, especially in a place like this, at the, at the Salt Line, where we're, you know, if, if it was a baseball day, um, where we, I don't want to say sling food because uh, 
that uh, is, there's an implication that it's not quality because I do demand quality still. I, I still demand quality even though it's very busy. And it took us a while to get there because that's very hard to do. When we, when we have a baseball day and we're clearing, you know, insane numbers and every, every French fry is perfect, every burger is perfect, and it's like, oh, just French fries. Like, dude, I still want every one of them perfect, man. Um, when you nail that and at the end of the night, we're all cleaned up, everybody's sweaty and just beat up. And, you know, you look at the numbers and you're like, dude, we just served a thousand people. That was five of us against a thousand. That was awesome, dude. What a battle, man. We raged, you know? The beer tastes so good after that, man, you know? Absolutely. Man, that's awesome. What do you, I mean, what do you do in those kind of situations where it gets really stressful? Like the typical, you know, we all think of chef, we think of like, probably like you said, in the 90s, probably 2000s, it was like the brutal chef that would just yell at you, cuss at you, like you fucked up big time. Like, how do you, how do you handle stressful situations like that? Or like when you are facing a thousand customers, like what's your, like, are you, are you the cool headed leader or like, do you like what gets you kind of in the zone or what kind of like gets you out of that frantic stress? Sure. So, and this is great because it happens like once a week here where it's just Mm -hmm. nutty. And, um, we always have new people coming in we always have, you know, and they're like, there's a wall of human beings that want to eat, you know, and you can hear them coming across the street. You can hear them walking. That's nuts, right? And they're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And it's like, dude, number one, do not panic. We're going we're gonna to get through it. We get through it every single day. It's going to be nuts. Listen to what I say and focus. You have to shut out the chaos, man, because it's going to get like super fucked up in here. Uh, and, but number one, don't panic. Whatever you do, you panic, you lost. And then you're going to bring the rest of us down with you, man. So I'll have to kick you out. But um, that's, uh, God, yeah, man. It's like you're, you're, you know, you're getting faced with this. And it's like, dude, so many tickets are coming in. It's like, um, I'll direct you. I know how to do this. I've been doing this my whole life anyway, man. And if I have to, I'll go back there and do it myself. But really, you're here to learn. So it's like, you really, you should, um, you should do it. But I also... All you have to do is listen to me, man. I can help. I can help you through this. But if you're gonna slop food around, I fucking don't want it, man. I fucking you can you can take it in the back and eat it yourself. It's gotta be. It's gotta still gotta be right, but fast too. You can do both. Okay. When people are like, hey, man, work smarter, not harder. It's like, no, no, both, dude. Oh, you can do both and faster, please. And if you ever find yourself in the weeds, try moving your arms and legs faster. Get you right out, man. Okay. Efficiencies, you know. Okay, and that's even like. Everything from your prep to like, you know, even like your mise, oh, yeah, your mise sure. en place, everything is there. Organization and planning and yeah. preparation. How do you, you know, new guy, he's there, he's just trying to like, he's trying to do his best. Like, how do you keep him from just like crapping his pants that like, I don't know if I can do this, chef. Like, this is, is it? Yeah, I mean, if is somebody it, is says. Is it tough love? Is it? Yeah, I mean, uh, so if somebody says, I don't know if I can do this, you can just be like, dude, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. You already, you already made up your mind, man, you know? Or can you? Can you just do it? And it's like, I think so. It's like, no, dude, you can. Not you think, man. Fuck you think, man. It's just like, fucking yeah, I can do this, dude. And also, it's like, how can you... T- it's so weird when people are like, oh, I, don't, I can't. It's like, if anybody else in the world can do it, you can just do it, dude. And you're completely capable of anything else. Of, of, of everything that's happening. Anything that needs to get done, you can do that, dude. Just like, focus and do it. Uh, 
Nobody just can't do a thing. Yeah. What is one question that, I mean, you probably get like press interviews all the time. Like what's one question that you wish people asked you more about? You know, man, reviews are cheap. Talk is cheap. There's critics fucking everywhere, man. Yelp, all of these places, right? There's like, um, but it's not just, it's not just the amateur critic. I think professional critics are, uh, you get the impression they don't know shit about what it really takes. And it's like, um, I wish they would do more physical for real active, um, research, um, or actually just do it or try it just for a month, you know, see what it's like to really not make any money. See what it's right. See what minimum wage is like, see what the abuse is like, see what just the physical demand on your body is like, um, see what it's like to, and if they could ever get to a spot of responsibility, just to see how hard it is. You know what I mean? And it's like, oh man, look at this salad. It's like, I'm working on it. That's like the last of my worries right now, dude, but okay, thanks. Do you find that most critics come from the restaurant world or are they like, they're kind of out, no. they're outside of it? Outside. And just think way. like, oh, yeah. I love food. I know what good food is. Yeah. I think a lot of people, there are, there, I think there's a lot of people who think that they're um, uh, experts in food because they've eaten three times a day for their whole lives. Uh, but it's not the fucking case, man. And I mean, and I do get it. It's I, I'm, I'm not asking for leniency in any way, but uh, it would just be more. It w- I would like to for for people to be more informed before they jump in on something. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. How I mean, how f- how fickle is DC's restaurant scene with reviews? I mean, is it like you know you always think of like in movies like oh the bad review like oh the restaurant's gonna close next week now but like. How like people don't care like has no, it, it's like, so weird, man. Has, uh, has Yelp been a good thing? Yeah. I don't know if Yelp's been a good thing, but I can say for sure that you know you remember. Uh, I, I remember when there were you know three channels. Uh, at least my TV had three channels, like option. But it was like you know there were like there weren't many channels, and then um, so that anything you saw on TV was very important. And then one day it was like fifty channels, and you're like, wow, look at all this important stuff. And then it was a hundred and then, you know, now it's like a thousand, but outside of the TV, there's also all the stuff on the internet, man. There's all the stuff on YouTube. There's all the stuff on Twitter, nonstop newsfeed on Twitter. Um, Instagram is nothing but pictures and I don't even know what Facebook is, but it's like just all this information hitting you. And so things are less important, lots of less important stuff. And what you are seeing is the review I think is important for, I think the only people that really read reviews are the industry people, right? Just to see what the other guy's doing. Yeah. And it's because it's fun. It's like, this is a part of our lives. This is a part of our And you're talking like game. a formal review by yes. an actual critic. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it does mean that you're probably not going to be considered for, uh, you probably won't be considered for, you know, any of the other uh, higher up awards or accolade kind of things. <clears throat> but um I don't know, man. Think about that place, Fig and Olive in DC. I don't know if you've been there. Um, they awful review. And then they had a serious health scare with, I can't remember what it was, but a bunch of people got super sick. And then there was an expose written on them because they found out that all their food was coming from a commissary. But they, I mean, there's a line out the door every day when they, when they reopened after their health scare, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't think people are, Oh yeah, that'd stuff. be like death nail. Like you'd think that, man. Yeah, they're still open and line out, line out the door, man. Hmm. Making a ton of money. Yeah, that's awesome. And farmers and farmers and fishers, I think it was. They awful review. Um, 
they had an expose written about them uh, by Tom Sietzma, who's you know the food critic of the paper of record in DC about how they're they're owned by big ag and it's not actually fishers and farmers um, or whatever you know what I mean it's like it's not like they're 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 peddling an idea that's not true to what they're actually doing and uh, yeah man I don't know. I can't remember the, they, they, but they line out the door. Filled restaurant every day. So yeah, so it's not as fickle as you would imagine. I, I, I think, I mean, people are getting extra fickle, extra snarky, uh, yeah. but I, I think people are paying less attention. That being said, you still want a good review. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, of course. You still want the good reviews. Yeah, when it's, yeah, when it's on the average. Or, I mean, because there's the formal review by the critic, and then there are just common folk, regular people leaving reviews. I mean, my, my process for looking at reviews, it's like, what you know, everyone looks at, like, the average, or they'll look at, like, what the most, yes. pe- what most yep. people said, or, like, you know, 500 people can't be wrong, or, like, yeah. what's the average of, you know, 1,000 people's reviews? Yeah. So. Well, and so what we're seeing now is, uh, it's, it's crazy, man. So le- there are less Yelp reviews, and Google is, uh, Google, Google reviews are, are, um, are getting more popular. And that means people are on their phones too lazy to open an app. Yeah. When is, uh, so when is Dauphine's opening up? Uh, looks like, uh, late 2019, late 2019, early 2020. Okay. And then where's that? Where's Dauphine's going to be at? That will be in the old Washington post building on 15th and M. Thank you for being here. Uh, thanks for, uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Yes. Thank you, man. Alrighty. So that was chef Kyle Bailey for you. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, this is now episode six, I believe. Yeah. So chugging right along on this series. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to find out more about Chef Kyle Bailey, probably the best source is either to go to his restaurants, one, to taste the food. Uh, but if you want to find him on Instagram, he's always like slicing up a swordfish or slicing up some cut of meat. I would go to his Instagram at Chef Kyle Bailey. Be sure to leave a review or subscribe to this podcast. Uh, I always say, like, you know, take a screenshot of this if you're listening to if you're listening to this on your phone. Take a screenshot, upload this to your Instagram story, share this with your friends. Just say like, hey, this is an awesome podcast. Check it out, the Jordan P. Anderson podcast. People are asking like, what is this podcast called? It's just me. It's my name. Jordan P. Anderson. So if you're on iTunes, if you're on Overcast, Spotify, just look up the Jordan P. Anderson podcast. It should come up. Thanks for listening, guys, again. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.